Welcome to Understand Suicide, the podcast of journalist and therapist Paola Fontanelli. Since her father's suicide in 2005, Paola has dedicated her life to breaking the silence around this most stigmatized of subjects. Her book, Understanding Suicide, Living with Loss, Paths to Prevention, was nominated for the National Book Award in Brazil, and the English edition is now available on Amazon. everyone. Thank you so much for being such a loyal audience. Today I have two things to talk about very briefly. The first one is that I have created a page on Facebook. It's called Understand Suicide, the same name as the podcast, because I do miss interacting with you. So you can talk to me directly there or even among yourselves, but I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear ideas, topics, maybe questions that you might have and I could explore here. So just help me do this together. The second thing is that on my webpage now, understandsuicide.com, you have a donate option, so you could donate to the podcast. It could really help me because it takes at least eight to ten hours for me to finish each of these episodes. It's a lot of work. I have to come up with the ideas for the themes and topics I want to cover, find someone to interview, you know, get in touch with them. Sometimes it takes months to get someone to say, yes, let's do it. And the editing and all of that costs. So if you find that this is helpful for you, I would appreciate your help. Thank you. Hello, welcome to my podcast and to my YouTube channel. Today we're going to talk about the past and the future. Right, Joanna? You bet. <laughs> we're going to talk about something called epigenetics, but before we get into that, I know it sounds complicated, but it's not. It's actually very simple to understand, but she's going to tell us all about it. I'm just going to say who I have as a guest today, Joanna Lynn. She is the founder of the Family Imprint Institute. She has an international practice. She's committed to resolving painful patterns from going through generations and generations, like it's on repeat. That's what she says. And the intention of her work is to contribute to world peace, one family at a time. I love that, Johanna. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Paula. Great to be here with you. Let's start talking about this word that most people, I'm sure, have not heard about it, even mental health professionals. It's still a very new field for all of us. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was listening to you on a podcast, I don't remember which one because I listened to so many of them. <laughs> I listened to you and you mentioned the book, it, it didn't start with you. I've read that book and because I love epigenetics because I do believe that it explains so much. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're going to focus on. Let's start with you telling my listeners what is epigenetics. So think of it like an imprint. 
You know, we know we're half our mom and half our dad, but what we need to include in that is their experiences, their perceptions, their traumas. They come into us. They are a part of our very DNA. And so epigenetics is a field of study that looks at those beliefs and experiences that we carry with us. And they're handed down from our grandparents to our parents and then to us. And we pass that along to our children. Mm -hmm. And it's funny you say that because when we talk about parents, all we think about is color of the skin, the color of your eyes. Sometimes we talk about personality traits, like, oh, it takes up his father. It was just like his mom, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't think about what you just mentioned. We don't think about the beliefs, the values, the trauma, the experiences. And it's not just the parents, right? It's their parents and their parents' parents, and it goes up and up and up, right? Exactly. And so the field of epigenetics, I like to stay as close to the science as we can, really looks at three generations back. So we've got ourselves, our parents, and our grandparents. And of course, we know our grandparents, you know, come from parents, goes further. But the effect on us mostly is our parents and our grandparents. And typically, when I work with mm -hmm. clients and we map out a three-generation geneogram, there is more than enough material and experiences to work from, you know, over, over those two generations. Mm -hmm. You mentioned geneogram. I'm sure most of the listeners will go, what? Epigenetics? <laughs> I'm just now starting to understand. And then you come with this other word. So let me just explain. Think about a family tree, right? Yes. Think about the family tree, but it's not just, okay, who is the father? Who is the mother? It's about communi communication patterns. It's about values. It's about beliefs. It's about what's important to these families, you know, up to your, I, I, I work with Genogram too, a lot with my mm -hmm. clients. And like you said, I go one, their parents and their parents' parents, you know, three yeah. generations. So we look at uh, mental health, what are the patterns of mental health within the family? There is a history of alcohol abuse or substance use. So we, we go deeper into what we mainly see as a family tree, right? I love that description. It's almost like the family tree that shows us where the love stopped flowing, where the, the channel might have got kinked up or tangled up due to mm -hmm. hurt feelings and estrangements and all kinds of complexities that we deal with in this lifetime. Oh, I love what you just said. Where, what did you say? Where the love stopped flowing? Yeah. Never thought about it this way because we, I, I think about communication a lot. I and mean, when did the communication stop flowing too? Because that's, that's a, a symptom of where the love stopped too. Oh, yeah. They go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So trauma. I, w I would like to focus on trauma. I've been doing a few interviews. The last ones were very much focused on that because it is so closely related to suicide, as you know, and mental health. So talk, let's talk about trauma. How can trauma from my grandparent express itself through me? Does that happen and how? Yes. And so let's use a really, you know, exaggerated example that we have a grandmother that lived through impoverished times or um, this true sense of there won't be enough, really living in an experience of survival. 
And then that is, as we can imagine, such a traumatic experience, going hungry, where there'll be enough, not able to really move into a life of thriving, but really just looking from one day to the next. Now we look at the child that will come through her, which might be our mother or our father. And that same experience of, will there be enough, is a very much an imprint that moves through the very nervous system and even the perceptions and the way we see our world. Now, when that client, that son or daughter, the, the third generation might come into an office like yours or mine, they might talk about um, going through the, uh, the grocery store and buying all the extras for the just in case. You know, I'll see many clients who talk about having a basement stocked full of soups and a freezer, the just in case extra meals. And this feeling of what if the worst were to happen? I want to make sure I'm prepared. And so sometimes we look at the experience of a grandmother way up there in the family tree and how it influences that sense of, I better be prepared just in case. Or much more commonly, I will see the evidence of that client's life, meaning lots of savings, healthy, loving relationship, a really uh, prosperous job. And yet the constricted feeling in the body is, I'll lose it all. I'll wake up one day and I'll have nothing. And you think, huh, where does that feeling come from when the reality of the client's life actually doesn't match up? And so this is where we follow the language and the facts of the family to understand where that constricted feeling might be connected to. <clears throat> you are talking about this. And I think thinking of my family, I look at my family and one example to me that is so clear, it went down through generations and I had never realized until I did my own genogram for mm -hmm. school. And it's the value that we give to education. Uh -huh. and, you, and you know where that comes from? From my grandfather. Uh -huh. My grandfather was very, very poor. My, that's my, my mom's dad. Okay. He was very, he came from a very poor family. But his dream was always to go to school, to go to university, but he didn't have the means to. So, he, and he had a huge family, you know, back then he had 10 kids, wow. he had to work, he became quite wealthy in his time. And he, you know how old he was, and his dream was to be a lawyer. Mm. So he went to school late in life, and he graduated at 70. That is remarkable. Following through on that dream, that's incredible. Isn't that so incredible? No wonder education holds such a high value because it was this huge accomplishment in his life experience. Wow. And he passed it on and he always prioritized it in a way that wasn't even usual to, for that time because mm -hmm. women, you know, my, my, well, that was my mom, all the women, he made sure that they all had higher education. All mm. the kids had higher education. And when I did, Johanna, when I did my genogram and I looked, one of the things that I decided to count was and to mark in my family, and I have like 50-something cousins. I mean, it's a big family. <laughs> but I, had, I called everybody and I said, okay, how many degrees do you have? And it was amazing because it was, I, I changed the color on my genogram for education and, and higher, higher education degrees. 
almost all of them had the sons and daughters of my aunts and, and uncles. So wow. it's remarkable how these things really they, they go down generations. And some people had two degrees, three degrees. Mm-hmm. And it just shows how these things, it really goes down, right? Absolutely. You know, and that really sounds to me like a positive influence and um, something that's for the good of all. And I think where that gets a little bit into the gray area is if we lose our own sense of what's right for us. And this is where we just fall into what's expected of us. And perhaps we find ourselves halfway through that degree thinking, wait a minute, you know, who is this for anyways? And so sometimes when we do this intergenerational work, we can get closer and closer to the clarity of what's right for us. Mm, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. And also the other side of the coin, as you mentioned, that's a positive thing. But let's talk, talk about trauma, right? Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned the person who is wealthy, who never really needed much, but they always, always worried about money and if, it's, if, if they're going to run out of money and... Let's talk about uh, trauma and the impact it can have and also help my listener understand. Because when you were talking about this, it came to my mind. Sometimes we have challenges and we go, I just don't understand. Where does this come from? But still you repeat the pattern and the behavior and the way you deal with emotions and things like that. So I remember I heard you mention there was a... um, study with Holocaust family survivors, right? Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Just, just to illustrate. Oh, definitely. It's such an impactful study and, and truly gets the point across so clearly. So there's this incredible researcher, Rachel Yehuda, out of Mount Sinai University. And she came across um, understanding the impacts of something as Um, wild as the Holocaust. So those descendants who um, lived on, their brains were studied. And we could see that the same regions of the brain carried the same stress markers as their parents, as they themselves had experienced the Holocaust. And so we, we can recognize even when a trauma as significant as the Holocaust comes in, this changes us and it changes the way our DNA expresses and then is passed on to our children. And so they're living with that same hypervigilance, that same um, anxiety, um, as if they themselves had experienced it. And so this is what we're seeing where this is why that book is such a great title. It didn't start with you, but let's try to understand the symptoms, the fears, the, you know, reoccurring thoughts that keep you up at night, what they're actually connected to so that we can resolve them right at the source. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gabor Mate, I'm sure he knows him because he's from Canada, right? Oh, he's, uh, yes, he's a Canadian yeah. physician. He's been yes. in these trainings. Yes. yes, and he talks a lot about that, about the Holocaust, because that's, that's his story, right? Exactly right. Exactly mm-hmm. right. I was talking, I had a, a friend of mine one time, and I think it's a good example, too, of epigenetics and how these things that we can't understand but he called me one time and, and, oh, can we talk? And we started talking and he knows that suicide and I've always been involved mm-hmm. with this. And he said, Paula, I've been so nervous, so anxious lately. And I know what it is, but it doesn't make sense. 
hmm. because his father, just listen to the story, his father had taken his life and he was going to turn the age of his father when it happened. Hmm. And he really didn't have recollection of his father at all because he died when he was very young, one or two. Mm-hmm. But he said, I know it doesn't make sense. I don't, I've never thought about suicide. I have a great life. I'm very happy. But I have been so anxious because I'm going to turn the age when he did it. And I just cannot get that out of my mind. I can't control it. It's so interesting you bring that up. It happens much more commonly than anyone would imagine. In our work, we give it a title. We call it an ancestral alarm clock. So this Mm. sense of, you know, my father took his life when he was 46 and here I am on the eve of my 46th birthday or the energy that builds as we come up to that time. And I don't know what to do with these restless or anxious feelings in my body. The connection is very much whether we know our father or not, whether he's been estranged or passed, as you say, when we were much younger. There is a a very deep connection where we've got the same types of feelings that can arise, especially if we didn't have much of a relationship with that parent. It kind of amplifies the way it expresses in us. If you want more information about suicide, my book is now available on Amazon, both in paperback and digital formats. Just type in the title, Understanding Suicide, or my name, Paula Fontinelli. The book was written for people like you, and it's the result of more than 10 years of conversations with families who lost loved ones to suicide, individuals who attempted suicide, specialists, and mental health professionals. Thank you for your support. Now back to the interview. I know that we've been trained to do this, to do the genogram and to look at the patterns in families. But for my listeners, someone who is at at home right now, and maybe they're thinking, wow, this happens to me, happens to me all the time. I have have this feeling of doom or I have this behavior that I don't understand. How can they tackle into that, Joanna? How can they do this, let's say, family research? Mm -hmm. What is the best way for them to try to understand if they don't have the resources that we do? Mm -hmm. Great question. So I think the place to start is that self-awareness and questioning, what are those recurring painful patterns, um, heavy, stressful thoughts? What do I notice about myself that feels like I'm really carrying or that feels like something I'd like to resolve? So we've got a bit of a starting place to understand more about ourselves. And then for me, just placing on on a piece of paper, you know, mom and dad, and beginning to list some adjectives about your relationship with them. So does mom feel warm and close and easy to connect to? Or alternatively, do you always feel criticized or shut down or closed around her? That's going to give you a lot of understanding about your feelings about yourself and your own relationships and how they go on. And so we're going to look at the family tree. That's a perfect way to describe it, but more from a relational perspective. Again, maybe we bring to mind, where did love stop flowing? We want to be able to also list 
current factual family events. Um, so if mom and dad separated, how old were you? Um, if mom or dad passed away, what age were they? Um, and just getting some of the facts of the family laid out. So we see it all there in front of us. Oftentimes we know the facts, we know what happened, but if we see it all together, it's like putting some of the puzzle pieces and we now see the picture of the puzzle come to light. And then we're going to do the very same thing with both sets of grandparents. And again, not from the perspective of, you know, grandpa was born in 1942. No. <laughs> but, yes, but more from that perspective of what did dad think about his dad? Let me remember, what did dad mm. say about his dad? It's much more relevant than what did I feel about grandpa? It gives us more information when we can connect it parent to child. Mm. You were talking about what did my dad, how did they feel or what did they say about their dad? And it brought, it brought to me my own story. Mm. And, and I'm thinking of, because you're, you're saying, just put down on paper the things you know. And what about the secrets, right? Mm. Those are, hard, are much harder oh, to yeah. tackle. Well, and I think things that are kept a family secret, it's almost like it has more and more impact. It's like a snowball going downhill. It just gets bigger and bigger. And so there are many clients where maybe the parents have passed on or maybe the secret is so big, no one dares to ask. And so sometimes it's enough to honor the family secret. You know, we're not going to go digging. We leave the family secret a secret, but we begin to look at some of our own challenges and recognize how it may be connected to the pieces that we don't know. Hmm. And also thinking uh, with this, um, with no judgment too, because I think epigenetics helps you understand that if it's happening to you and it's a consequence of something that came from your dad, for example, yeah. same thing might be happening to him. So let's not judge. It's not from a place of that's what they did to me or it's their fault. No, it's, it's, it's an understanding, right, Joanna? A hundred percent. I think the big point of this work is to take it out of it being personal. So this idea around, oh my gosh, no wonder dad was so quick to anger. Look at what happened between his, you know, his father and him when he was a child. Or no wonder mom drank. There was so much uh, trauma in her childhood that she needed to numb out from. Because of course, we're looking at a lot of the things that have happened in our childhood, often from that childlike perspective. And as a seven-year-old, a 12-year-old, of course, we don't imagine taking in the full picture. We are simply hurt. We take it personal. And then we build a story around they weren't there for me or they never listened without including the fullness of why. And so this work, I've come to just deeply appreciate how rich it is in compassion and building understanding. And that is really our key to freedom, our key to getting out of that narrative that it shouldn't have been the way it was. We come to more acceptance and peace. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you my secret that I only mm -hmm. found out when I, I was doing the genogram, doing exactly what you said, you know, put it in on paper. But I, I started calling and... When I actually, when I was writing my book about my father's suicide, I talked to his best friend who is also married to his uh, sister and they're still alive. Oh, wow. okay. So I was talking to him and I, until, until today, it, 
it blows my mind what happened because I was talking to him about my grandfather whom I hadn't met in my mind. That's what I knew. So I, I'm just talking to him and said, oh, can you tell me something about my, my grandpa? Because I don't know anything. He died when dad was so young, when he was 12 years old. And I just, my dad never mentioned him. So, and he looked at me and he said, what do you mean he died when your father was 12 years old? You met your grandfather. Hmm. And I was, What? What do you mean I met him? That's the story I know. And then, of course, I thought, I'm crazy. I made it up in my mind, of course. So what I did was, okay, okay, hold on. I can, because I was so stunned with this information. I called my sister and I asked, what do you know about grandpa? She told me the same story I, I had in my mind. I called my other sister, same story. So this was the story my father told us the kids that my father my grandfather had died when he was 12 they were very poor he, my father had to start working at 12 years old to help to help the family and help his mother and that was it and i know you know when he died when my dad already had me and my older sister everything was a lie and i called i immediately called my mom i said mom what what is going on? And I explained to her and she said, I don't understand. Where did you get this story of your, I met your grandfather. No, she actually told me, I never met your grandfather because your father never wanted me to. They didn't have a good relationship. And then I started digging in and say, okay, there is more to, the, to this than, than why did he feel that he had to kill his father? Mm-hmm. Us? So I found out that my father was an alcoholic okay. and my grandfather was an alcoholic. So there was too much shame for my Got dad it. to talk about his father. Yes. And he actually died because of it. I never yes. knew why he died. So I understood when you said, oh, now I understand. That was the feeling I had. I went, wow, now I get it. That's I get it. it. I totally that- understand. It just opens up so much more life force instead mm-hmm. of it feeling like a big question mark. And in, our, in this work, what went on between your grandfather and your father, we call this a merge. We live life like a parent. And there are four ways that our life force gets diminished. And that's one of the four. And so a lot of the times when we understand our full history when we look at it three generations across as we're talking about to your listeners to really put pen to paper we can begin to see where we get those kinks in the hose where we have those diminishment of life force and how we can open that back up when as you did went out and did that research and went to fill in the blanks the difference of what you understood of why why he kept his dad from his family. There was too much pain there. It was too much of what he was struggling with. And mm-hmm. therefore, it couldn't be explored. And also, I actually mentioned this for him. I think his father was a cracked mirror. He oh. couldn't look at himself because That's he saw too way. much of himself on his father. So yeah. he just killed him. That's what yeah. he did. And we never... And also, as I said before, it brought so much compassion. Oh. I understood so much about so much about my dad and the things he did, and the life he had, and the alcohol, his relationship with the family. Everything was so clear. Oh, and that's where the healing comes in, Paula. That's such a beautiful mm-hmm. story. 
Yeah. So healing. Mm-hmm. We let's say, okay, my listener that he followed your your suggestion. He did the homework. Why heal it? I mean, why look at the family? Because it it may sound like it's just cognitive. Okay, I understand that. That's where I get this from. But when does the healing begin? And and why heal it? Well, I think life is complicated enough. You know, it throws us enough challenges right here on our own. And so I think when we look at why we do certain things or why certain habits are so hard to get out of, um, it gives us a greater context. It gives us more clarity. And once we have that healing piece done, so much more freedom to live a life that is in alignment with what makes sense to us. You know, if we go back to that earlier example about your grandfather holding education in such a revered place, and maybe somewhere along the line, someone followed that in your family because they felt they had to, instead of it being a place of choice. And so I think the more we can get clear of what is me, and actually what is you, mom and dad, or even further back, grandparents, so that we're really living a life that aligns with us and, and, and what's true for us, that that mm-hmm. helps to really honor. Okay. Before we end, I want to talk about something that really struck me when I, I was listening to you or maybe reading something you wrote, I don't know, but you talk about the myth of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And we hear about forgiveness so often. Oh, it's all about you, you must forgive and self, self-forgiveness too. You have to forgive yourself. And you say that's a myth. I Why do. is that? And it's a very different point of view, I have to say. It is. And so I think, as you say, there are so many books about forgiveness. It's really a main topic. And I, I think it falls flat. It doesn't really give us the resolution that we're looking for. And I'll go back a little bit from the perspective of this work. So let's say we have a parent who's harmed us or disappointed us in some way. If they say to us, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. In a way, as the child, even if we're an adult child, now we're looking at this place where we have felt wronged or hurt. And now we're also feeling the burden of having to forgive the parent. And so we're kind of stuck. And for me, what transforms the relationship, what allows love to flow again, I think two stronger words, much stronger than I forgive you, are I understand. And so mom, you're asking me to forgive you for let's say um, you were so quick to anger and you were so heavy in your criticism. It felt like I couldn't do anything right. So now let me look at that series of behaviors and I begin to notice how it's impacted me. But when I can include what stands behind you, you know, maybe your dad was part of the military and everything was so rigid and had to be a certain way. And your mom was sort of chronically unhappy and you never really got any positive feedback. And so as I see you as a little girl mom growing up in that environment, you actually were just replicating and repeating so much of the pain that you experienced. So when I can step out of taking it personal, when I can really hear where it's coming from, there isn't anything left to forgive. There's much more of an understanding of what's behind it. I'm free from taking it personal. And what's left is actually space for us to reconnect. Mm 
Mm. And that feels so much more life promoting and expansive than the words I forgive you and maybe still carrying a lot of the hurt inside. It makes to me, Joanne, so much sense because in my own story, the, the one that I just shared with you, yeah. I, it never crossed my mind to say I forgive you because there was a lot of conflict, a lot of yeah. problems. It, it really was complicated for me being a child of an alcoholic. Oh, yeah. And it had a huge impact on my relationships, huge, especially with men, because that's, that's where it expresses itself. Mm-hmm. But it never, it never occurred to me, but I did feel, wow, now I understand. So what oh. you're saying 100% resonates with me. It's, I love that. it's more from a place of compassion. That's in it. connection, in connection and in saying, okay, now I get it. Well, and actually, Paula, I'm glad you shared that piece because there's another aspect of the myth of forgiveness that there are experiences where that's too much to forgive. There's too much pain. There's too much hurt. And so forgiveness doesn't even feel like the right word or the right step that we've got to go beyond that into something that encompasses honoring the hurt and giving place for where that hurt was coming from. So that, that's such a good point that you bring forward. Joanna, thank you so much. It's been a great conversation and so enlightening. Mm. Since the first time I heard you, oh my goodness, I have to get her on my show. Oh, well, thank you know, for the invite. I know that my audience needs, you know, to find peace, to find ways of healing, to find hope somewhere. And many of them go through trauma and they're stuck in their trauma and really this ability to open up and broaden their, their perspective can be so valuable to them. So we are all very grateful to you. Well, I'm honored to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. And keep up with the good work and stay safe, okay? You as well. Thank you. You've been listening to Understand Suicide, the podcast of journalist and therapist Paula Fontanelli. If you've been touched by suicide and believe your story might help others, please consider contacting Paula through her website, understandsuicide.com.